CD4. It was the Chair of Indefinite Studies who saw the light on the moon. He was leaning on the ship's rail at the time, having a quiet afternoon smoke. He was not an ambitious wizard, and generally just concentrated on keeping out of trouble and not doing anything very much. The nice thing about indefinite studies was that no one could describe exactly what they were. This gave him quite a lot of free time. He watched the moon's pale ghost for a while, and then went and found the Arch-Chancellor, who was fishing. Mustrum, should the moon be doing that?' he said. Ridcully looked up. "'Good grief! Stevens! Where's the man got to?' Ponder was located in the bunk where he had flopped to sleep fully dressed. He was hustled up the ladder half asleep, but he awoke quickly when he saw the sky. "'Should it be doing that?' Ridcully demanded, pointing at the moon. "'No, sir, it certainly shouldn't.' "'It's a definite problem, is it?' said the chair, hopefully. "'It certainly is. Where's the omniscope? Has anyone tried to talk to them?' "'Ah, well, not my field, then.' "'said the chair of indefinite studies, backing away. "'Sorry, would help if I could. "'Can see you're busy. Sorry.' "'All the dragons must have fired by now. "'Rincewind felt his eyeballs being pressed into the back of his head. "'Leonard was unconscious in the next seat. "'Carrots was presumably lying in the debris "'that had been rammed to the other end of the cabin. "'By the ominous creaking and the smell, "'an orangutan was hanging onto the back of Rincewind's seat.' Oh, and when he managed to turn his head to see out of the window, one of the dragon pods was on fire. It was no wonder. The flame coming from the dragons was almost pure white. Leonard had mentioned one of these levers. Rincewind stared at them through a red mist. If we have to drop all the dragons, Leonard had said, we... what? Which lever? Actually, at a time like this, the choice was plain. Rincewind, his vision blurred, his ears insulted by the sound of a ship in pain, pulled the only one he could reach. "'I can't put this in a saga,' the minstrel thought. "'No one will ever believe it. I mean, they just won't ever believe it.' "'Trust me, right?' said Evil Harry, inspecting the hoard. "'I mean, yes, obviously, I am untrustworthy, point taken. But it's a matter of pride here, you understand? Trust me, this will work.' I bet even the gods don't know all the gods, right? I feel a right twerp with these wings, Caleb complained. Mrs. McGarry did a very good job on him, so don't complain, snapped evil Harry. You make a very good god of love. What kind of love I wouldn't like to say. And you are? God of fish, Harry, said Cohen, who had stuck scales on his skin and made himself a sort of fish-head helmet from one of their late adversaries. Evil Harry tried to breathe. "'Good, good, a very old fish-god, yes. "'And you, Truckle, are the god of bloody swearing,' "'said Truckle the Uncivil firmly. "'Eh, uh, that could actually work,' said the minstrel, "'as evil Harry frowned. "'After all, there are muses of dance and song, "'and there's even a muse of erotic poetry.' "'Oh, I can do that,' said Truckle dismissively. "'There was a young lady from Quirm whose grip was... "'All right, all right.' "'And you, Hamish?' "'God of stuff!' said Hamish. "'What stuff?' Hamish shrugged. "'He hadn't survived all this time by being unnecessarily imaginative. "'Just things you can,' he said. "'Lost things, maybe. Things lying around.' "'The silver horde turned to the minstrel, who nodded after some thought. "'Could work,' he said at last. "'Evil Harry moved on to boy Willie. "'Willie!' "'Why have you got a tomato on your head and a carrot in your ear?' 
Boy Willie grinned proudly. "'You'll love this one,' he said. "'God of being sick!' "'It's been done,' said the minstrel, before evil Harry could reply. "'Vomisha, goddess in Ankh-Morpork, thousands of years ago. "'To give an offering to Vomisha meant to say a better thing or something else,' growled Cohen. "'Oh, and what are you going to be, Harry?' "'Me?' Uh, "'I'm going to be a dark god,' said evil Harry. "'There's a lot of them around.' "'Here, you never said we could be demonic,' said Caleb. "'If we can be demonic, I'm blowed if I'm going to be stupid Cupid.' "'But if I'd said we could be demons, you'd have all wanted to be demons,' Harry pointed out. "'And we'd have been arguing for hours. "'Besides, the other gods are going to smell a rat if a whole bunch of dark gods turn up all at once.' "'Mrs. McGarry hasn't done a thing,' said Truckle. "'Well, I thought if I could borrow evil Harry's helmet, "'I could slip in as a Valkyrie maiden,' said Vina. "'Good, sensible thinking,' said evil Harry. "'There's bound to be a few of them around.' "'And Harry won't need it, because in a minute "'he's going to make an excuse about his leg or his back or something, "'and how he can't come in with us,' said Cohen in conversational voice. "'On account of him having betrayed us. Right, Harry?' "'The game was getting more exciting.' Most of the gods were watching now. Gods enjoy a good laugh, although it has to be said that their sense of humour is not subtle. Blind Io, the elderly chief of the gods, said, "'I suppose there is no harm they can do us.' "'No,' said Fate, passing the dice-box. "'If they were very intelligent, they would not be heroes.' There was the rattle of a die, and one flew across the board and then began to spin in the air, tumbling faster and faster. Finally it vanished in a puff of ivory. "'Someone has thrown uncertainty,' said Fate. He looked along the table. "'Ah, my lady!' "'My lord,' said the lady. Her name was never spoken, although everyone knew what it was. Speaking her name aloud would mean that she would instantly depart.' Despite the fact that she had very few actual worshippers, she was, nevertheless, one of the most powerful of the deities on the disc, since in their hearts nearly everyone hoped and believed that she existed. "'And what is your move, my dear?' said Io. "'I have already made it,' said the lady, "'but I've thrown the dice where you can't see them.' "'Good, I like a challenge,' said Io. "'In that case—' "'If I may suggest a diversion, sir—' said Fate smoothly. "'And that is?' "'Well, they do want to be treated like gods,' said Fate. "'So I suggest we do so.' "'Are you saying that we should take them seriously?' said Offler. "'Up to a point. Up to a point. "'Up to which point?' said the lady. "'Up to the point, madam, where it ceases to amuse.' On the veldt of Hoanderland live the Entuatif people, the only tribe in the world to have no imagination whatsoever. For example, their story about the thunder runs something like this. Thunder is a loud noise in the sky, resulting from the disturbance of air masses by the passage of lightning. And their legend, How the Giraffe Got His Long Neck, runs, In the old days... The ancestors of Old Man Giraffe had slightly longer necks than any other grassland creatures, and the access to the high leaves was so advantageous that it was mostly long-necked giraffes that survived, passing on the long neck in their blood just as a man might inherit his grandfather's spear. 
Some say, however, that it is all a lot more complicated, and this explanation only applies to the shorter neck of the Okapi, and so it is. The Entuatif are a peaceful people, and have been hunted almost to extinction by neighbouring tribes who have lots of imagination, and therefore plenty of gods, superstitions, and ideas about how much better life would be if they had a bigger hunting ground. Of the events on the moon that day, the Entuatif said, The moon was brightly lit, and from it rose another light which then split into three lights and faded. We do not know why this happened, it was just a thing. They were then wiped out by a nearby tribe who knew that the lights had been a signal from the god Ookli to expand the hunting ground a bit more. However, they were soon defeated entirely by a tribe who knew that the lights were their ancestors who lived on the moon and who were urging them to kill all non-believers in the goddess Glypso. Three years later, they in turn were killed by a rock falling from the sky as a result of a star exploding a billion years ago. What goes around, comes around. If not examined too closely, it passes for justice. In the shaking, rattling kite, Rincewind watched the last two dragon pods drop from the wings. They tumbled alongside for a moment, broke up and fell away. He stared at the levers again. Someone, he thought muzzily, really should be doing something with them, shouldn't they? Dragons contrailed across the sky. Now they were free of the pods, they were in a hurry to get home. The wizards had created Thurlow's interesting lens just above the deck. The display was quite impressive. "'Better than fireworks,' observed the dean. Ponder banged on the omniscope. "'Ah, it's working now,' he said. "'But all I can see is this huge—' More of Rincewind's face than a giant nose became visible as he drew back. "'What levers do I pull? What levers do I pull?' he screamed. "'What's happened?' Leonard's still out cold, and the librarian is pulling carrot out of all the junk, and this is definitely a bumpy ride. We've got no dragons left. What are all those dials for? I think we're falling. What shall I do? Didn't you watch how Leonard did it? He had his feet on two pedals and was pulling all the levers all the time. All right, all right, all right. I'll see if I can work out what to do from his plans, and we can talk you down. Don't! Talk me up. Up is where we want to stay, not down. Are any of the levers marked? said Ponder, scrabbling through Leonard's sketches. "'Yes, but I don't understand them. Here's one marked Trobar.' Ponder scanned the pages, covered in Leonard's backwards writing. "'Eh, eh,' he muttered. "'Do not pull the lever marked Trobar,' snapped Lord Vetinari, leaning forward. "'My lord!' said Ponder, and went red as Lord Vetinari's gaze fell upon him. I- "'I'm sorry, my lord, but this is rather technical. It is about machinery, and it would perhaps be better if those whose education had been more in the field of the arts did not—' His voice faded under the patrician's stare. "'This one's got a normal label. It's called Prince Haran's Tiller,' said a desperate voice from the omniscope. Lord Vetinari patted Ponder Stibbons on the shoulder. "'I quite understand,' he said. "'The last thing a trained machinery person wants at a time like this "'is well-meant advice from ignorant people. "'I do apologise. "'And what is it that you intend to do?' "'Well, I, uh, I, I... "'As the kite and all our hopes plunge towards the ground, I mean.' Lord Vetinari went on. "'I, uh, I... Uh, well, let, let, let's see. Uh, we, we, we've tried?' Ponder stared at the omniscope and at his notes. His mind had become a huge, white, sticky field of hot fluff. "'I imagine we have at least a minute left,' said Lord Vetinari. "'No rush. 
I, uh, perhaps we, 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 uh... The patrician leaned down towards the omniscope. Rincewind, pull Prince Haran's tiller, he said. We don't know what it does, Ponder began. Do tell me if you have a better idea, said Lord Vetinari. In the meantime, I suggest that the lever is pulled. On the kite, Rincewind decided to respond to the voice of authority. Uh, "'There's a lot of clicking and whirring,' he reported, "'and some of the levers are moving by themselves. "'Now the wings are unfolding, we're sort of flying in a straight line, "'at least quite gently, really. "'Good. "'I suggest you apply yourself to waking up Leonard,' said the patrician. "'He turned and nodded at Ponder. "'You yourself have not studied the classics, young man. "'I know Leonard has.' "'Well, uh, no, sir.' Prince Haran was a legendary Clatchian hero who sailed around the world on a ship with a magical tiller, said Lord Vetinari. It steered the ship while he slept. If I can be any further help, don't hesitate to ask. Evil Harry stood frozen with terror as Cohen advanced across the snow, hand raised. "'You tipped off the gods, Harry,' said Cohen. "'We all heard yes,' said Mad Hamish.' "'But it's okay,' Cohen added. "'Makes it more interesting.' His hand came down and slapped the small man on the back. "'We thought, "'That even Harry, he may be dumber than a thick brick, "'but betraying us at a time like this, "'well, that's what we call nerve,' said Cohen. "'I've known a few evil dark lords in my time, Harry, "'but I'd definitely give you three great big goblin's heads for style. "'You might never have made it into the, uh, you know, "'big dark lord league, but you've got... "'Well, Harry, you've definitely got the wrong stuff.' "'We like some man who sticks to his siege catapults,' said Boy Willie. Evil Harry looked down and shuffled his feet, his face a battle between pride and relief. "'Good of you to say that, lads,' he mumbled. "'I mean, you know, if it was up to me, I wouldn't do this to you, "'but I've got a reputation to... Uh... "'I said we understand,' said Cohen. "'It's just like with us.' You see a great big airy thing galloping towards you. You don't stop to think, is this a rare species on the point of extinction? No, you hack his head off, because that's heroing, am I right? And you see someone, you betray him, quick as a wink, because that's villaining. There was a murmur of approval from the rest of the horde. In a strange way, this too was part of the code. You're letting him go, said the minstrel. Of course, you haven't been paying attention, lad. The Dark Lord always gets away. "'but you'd better put in a song that he betrayed us. "'That'll look good. "'And uh, you wouldn't mind saying I fiendishly tried to cut your throats,' said Harry. "'All right,' said Cohen loftily. "'Put in that he fought like a black-hearted tiger.' "'Harry wiped a tear from his eye. "'Thanks, lads,' he said. "'I don't know what to say. "'I won't forget this. "'This could turn things right round for me. "'But do us a favour and see the bard gets back all right, though, will you?' said Cohen. Sure, said Evil Harry. Um, I'm not going back, said the minstrel. This surprised everyone. It certainly surprised him. But life had suddenly opened two roads in front of him. One of them led back to a life singing songs about love and flowers. The other could lead anywhere. There was something about these old men that made the first choice completely impossible. He couldn't explain it. That was just how it was. "'You've got to go back,' said Cohen. "'No, I I've got to see how it ends,' said the minstrel. "'I must be mad, but that's what I want to do.' "'You can make that bit up,' said Vina. "'No, ma'am,' 
said the minstrel. I don't think I can. I don't think this is going to end in any way that I could make up. Not when I look at Mr. Cohen there in his fish hat, and Mr. Williers, the god of being sick again. No, I want to come along. Mr. Dredd can wait for me here, and I'll be perfectly safe, sir, no matter what, because I am absolutely certain that when the gods find they're under attack by a man with a tomato on his head and another one disguised as a muse of swearing, they're really, really going to want the whole world to know what happened next. Leonard was still out cold. Rincewind tried mopping his brow with a wet sponge. "'Of course I watched him,' said Carrot, glancing back at the gently moving levers. "'But he built it, so it was easy for him. "'Um, I shouldn't touch that, sir.' The librarian had swung himself into the driver's seat and was sniffing the levers. Somewhere underneath them the automatic tiller clicked and purred. "'We're going to have to come up with some ideas soon,' Rincewind said. "'It won't fly itself forever.' "'Perhaps if we gently—' "'I shouldn't do that, sir!' The librarian gave the pedals a cursory glance. Then he pushed Carrot away with one hand, while the other unhooked Leonard's flying goggles from their hook. His feet curled around the pedals. He pushed the handle that operated Prince Haran's tiller, and far under his feet something went thud. Then, as the ship shook, he cracked his knuckles, reached out, waggled his fingers for a moment, and grabbed the steering column. Carrot and Rincewind dived for their seats. The gates of Dunmanifesting swung open, apparently by themselves. The silver horde walked inside, keeping together, peering around suspiciously. "'You'd better mark our cards for us, lad,' whispered Cohen, looking around the busy streets. "'I wasn't expecting this.' "'Sir?' said the minstrel. "'We expected a lot of carousing in a big hall,' said Boywilly. "'Not shops, and everyone's different sizes.' "'Gods can be any size, I reckon,' said Cohen, as gods hurried towards them. "'Maybe we could come back another time,' said Caleb. "'The doors slammed behind them. "'Now,' said Cohen. "'And suddenly there was a crowd around them. "'You must be the new gods,' said a voice from the sky. "'Welcome to Dun Manifestin. you better come along with us.' "'Ah's a god of fish,' said a god to Cohen, falling in beside him. "'And how are's a fish, your mightiness?' "'Eh, uh, what?' said Cohen. "'Oh, eh, uh, wet. Still very wet. Uh, very wet things.' "'And things?' a goddess asked Hamish. "'How are things? Still lying ruined? "'And are you omnipotent?' "'Aye, lass, but there's pills I'm taking for it.' "'And you're the muse of swearing,' said a god to Truckle. "'Bloody right!' said Truckle desperately. "'Cohen looked up and saw Offla the crocodile god. "'He wasn't a god who was hard to recognise, "'but in any case Cohen had seen him many times before.' His statue in temples throughout the world was a pretty good likeness, and now was the time for a man to reflect on the fact that so many of those temples had been left a good deal poorer as a result of Cohen's activities. He didn't, however, because it was not the kind of thing he ever did, but it did seem to him that the horde was being hustled along. "'Where are we off to, friend?' he said. "'To what the games, your fitness?' said Offla. "'Oh, yeah.' "'That's where you, uh, we play around with you, uh, uh, bottles, right?' said Cohen. "'Yes, indeed,' said a god on the other side of Cohen. "'And currently we found some mortals actually attempting to enter Dunmanifesting.' "'Ah, <laughs> devils, eh?' said Cohen pleasantly. "'Give them a taste of hot thunderbolt. That's my advice. "'It's the only language they understand.' "'Mostly because it's the only language you use,' mumbled the minstrel, eyeing the surrounded gods.' "'Yes, we thought something like that would be a good idea,' said the god. "'I'm fate, by the way.' 
Oh, your fate, said Cohen as they reached the gaming table. Always wanted to meet you. I thought you were supposed to be blind. No. How about if someone stuck two fingers in your eyes? I'm sorry. Just my little joke. Ha, <laughs> ha, said Fate. I wonder, oh god of fish, how good a player you are. Never been much of a gambler, said Cohen, as a solitary die appeared between Fate's fingers. A mug's game. Perhaps you would care for a little venture. The crowd went silent. The minstrel looked into Fate's bottomless eyes and knew that if you played dice with Fate, the roll was always fixed. You could have heard a sparrow fall. Yeah, said Cohen at last. Why not? Fate tossed a die onto the board. Six, he said, without breaking eye contact. Right, said Cohen. So I've got to get a six too, yeah? Fate smiled. Oh no, you are after all a god, and gods play to win. You, oh mighty one, must throw a seven. Seven, said the minstrel. I fail to see why this should present a difficulty, said Fate, to one entitled to be here. Cohen turned the die over and over. It had the regulation six sides. I could see that could present a difficulty, he said, but only for mortals, of course. He tossed the die up in the air once or twice. Seven, he said. Seven, said Fate. Could be a knotty one, said Cohen. The minstrel stared at him and felt a shiver run down his spine. You'll remember I said that, lad, Cohen added. The kite banked through high cloud. Hook, said the librarian happily. He flies it better than Leonard did, said Rincewind. It must come more easily, whispered Carrots. You know, what with him being naturally atavistic. Really? I've always thought of him as quite good-natured. "'Except when he's called a monkey, of course.' "'The kite turned again, curving through the sky like a pendulum. Ook. "'If you look out the left window, you can see practically everywhere,' Rincewind translated. Ook. "'And if you look out the right window, you can see good grief.' "'There was the mountain, and there, glittering in the sunlight, was the home of the gods. "'Above it, just visible even in the brilliant air, was the shimmering, misty funnel of the world's magical field earthing itself at the centre of the world. "'Are you uh, are you much of a religious man yourself?' said Rincewind, as clouds whipped by the window. "'I believe all religions do reflect some aspect of an eternal truth, yes?' said Carrot. "'Good wheeze,' said Rincewind. "'You might just get away with it.' "'And you?' said Carrot. "'Well, you know that religion that thinks that whirling around in circles is a form of prayer?' "'Oh, yes, the hurtling whirlers of Clatch. "'Mine is like that, only we go more in uh, straight lines. "'Yeah, that's it. Speed is a sacrament. "'You believe it gives you some sort of eternal life?' "'Not eternal as such. "'More, well, well, just more, really. More life. "'That is,' Rincewind added, "'more life than you would have had "'if you did not go very fast in a straight line. "'Although curving lines are acceptable in broken country.' "'Carrot sighed. "'You're just a coward, really, aren't you?' "'Yes, but I've never understood what's wrong with the idea. "'It takes guts to run away, you know. "'Lots of people would be as cowardly as me if they were brave enough.' "'They looked out the window again. "'The mountain was nearer. "'According to the mission notes,' said Carrot, 
thumbing through the sheaf of hastily written research notes that Ponder had thrust into his hand just before departure. A number of humans have entered Dunmanifestin in the past and returned alive. Uh, returned alive per se is not hugely comforting, said Ritzwind. Uh, with their arms and legs, sanity, all minor extremities. Mostly they were mythical characters, said Carrot uncertainly. Uh, before or after? "'The gods traditionally look favourably on boldness, daring, and audacity,' Carrot went on. "'Good. You can go in first. "'Hook!' said the librarian. "'He says we'll have to land soon,' said Carrot. "'Was there some position we're supposed to get into?' "'Hook!' said the librarian. He seemed to be fighting the levers. "'What do you mean, lying on your back with your arms folded across your chest? "'Eek! Didn't you watch what Leonard did when he landed us on the moon? "'Hook! And that was a good landing!' said Rincewind. Oh, well, shame about the end of the world, but these things happen, eh? Would you like a peanut? I'm afraid it is a little hard to get the packet open. A ghostly chair hung in the air next to Rincewind. A violet flaring round the edge of his vision told him that he was suddenly in a little private time and space of his own. So we are going to crash, he said. Possibly. I'm afraid the uncertainty principle is making my job very difficult. How about a magazine? The kite curved around and began to glide gently towards the clouds around Corrie Celeste. The librarian glared at the levers, bit one or two of them, tugged the handle of Prince Haran's tiller, and then swung himself back along the cabin and hid under a blanket. We're going to land in that snowfield, said Carrot, slipping into the pilot's seat. Leonard designed the ship to land in snow, didn't he? After all, the kite did not so much land as kiss the snow. It bounced up into the air, glided a little further, and touched down again. There were a few more skips, and then the keel was running crisply and smoothly over the snowfield. "'Outstanding!' said Carrot. "'It's just a walk in the park!' Uh, "'You mean people are going to mug us and steal all our money and kick us viciously in the ribs?' said Rincewind. "'Could be. We're heading directly towards the city. Have you noticed?' They stared ahead. The gates of Dun Manifesting were getting closer very quickly." The kite breasted a snowdrift and sailed on. "'This is not the time to panic,' said Rincewind. The kite hit the snow, rebounded into the air, and flew through the gateway of the gods, halfway through the gateway of the gods. "'So, seven and I win,' said Cohen. "'It comes down, showing seven and I win, right?' "'Yes, of course,' said Fate. "'Sounds like a million to one chance to me,' said Cohen." He tossed the die high in the air, and it slowed as it rose, tumbling glacially with a noise like the swish of windmill blades. It reached the top of its arc and began to fall. Cohen was staring fixedly at it, absolutely still. Then his sword was out of its scabbard, and it whirled around in a complex curve. There was a snick and a green flash in the middle of the air, and two halves of an ivory cube bounced across the table. One landed showing the six, the other landed showing the one. One or two of the gods, to the minstrel's amazement, began to applaud. "'I think we had a deal,' said Cohen, still holding his sword. "'Really? And have you heard the saying, "'You cannot cheat fate?' said fate. Mad Hamish rose in his wheelchair. "'Have you heard the saying, "'Can your mother stitch, pal?' he yelled. As one man or god, the silver horde closed up and drew its weaponry. "'No fighting!' shouted Blind Io. "'That is the rule here. We've got the world to fight in!' "'That wasn't cheating!' Cohen growled. 
Leaving scrolls around to lure heroes to their death, that's cheating. But where would heroes be without magic maps? said Blind Io. Many of them would still be alive, snapped Cohen. Not pieces in some damn game. You cut the thing in half, said Fate. Show me where it says that in the rules. Yeah, why not show me the rules, eh? said Cohen, dancing with rage. Show me all the rules. What's up, Mr Fate? You want another go, is it? Double or quits, double stakes? You must admit it was a good stroke, said Offler. Several of the lesser gods nodded. What? Are you prepared to let them stand here and defy us? said Fate. Defy you, my lord, said a new voice. I suggest they have won. He did cheat Fate. If you do cheat Fate, I do not believe it says anywhere that Fate's subsequent opinion matters. The lady stepped daintily through the crowd. The gods parted to let her pass. They recognised a legend in the making when they saw it. "'And who are you?' snapped Cohen, still red with rage. "'I?' The lady unfolded her hands. A die lay on each palm, the solitary single dot facing up. But at a flick of her wrist the two flew together, lengthened, entwined, and became a hissing snake writhing in the air and vanished. "'I am the million to one chance,' she said. "'Yeah,' said Cohen, less impressed than the minstrel thought he ought to be. "'And who are all the other chances?' "'I am those two. Cohen sniffed. "'Then you ain't no lady.' "'Eh, that's not really,' the minstrel began. "'Oh, that wasn't what I was supposed to say, was it?' said Cohen. "'I was supposed to say, "'Oh, tar, missus, much obliged, well, I ain't. "'They say fortune favours the brave, "'but I say I've seen too many brave men "'walking into battles they never walked out of. "'The hell with all of it. "'What's up with you?' The minstrel was staring at a god on the edge of the crowd. "'It's you, isn't it?' he growled. "'You're Nuggan, aren't you?' The little god took a step backward but made the mistake of trying dignity. "'I be silent, mortal!' "'You utter, utter! Fifteen years, fifteen damn years before I ever tasted garlic! And the priests used to get up early in the countryside round us to jump on all the mushrooms!' "'And do you know how much a small slab of chocolate cost in our town, "'and what they did to people who were caught with one?' "'The minstrel shouldered the horde aside and advanced on the retreating god, "'his lyre raised like a club. "'I shall smite you with lightning!' squeaked Nuggan, "'raising his hands to protect himself. "'You can't, not here. "'You can only do that stuff back in the world. "'All you can do here is bluff and illusion and bullying.' That's what the prayers are. It's frightened people trying to make friends with the bully. All those temples were built, and, and you're nothing but a little... Cohen laid a gentle hand on his shoulder. Well said, lad, well said, but it's time you were going. Broccoli, murmured Offler to Suivo, god of cut timber. You can't go wrong with broccoli. I prohibit the practice of panupunitoplasty, said the Suivo. What's that? "'Search me, but it's got them worried.' "'Just let me give him one wallop!' shouted the minstrel. "'Listen, son, listen,' said Cohen, struggling to hold him. "'You've got better things to do with that lie than smash it over someone's head, right? "'A few little verses. It's amazing how they stick in the mind. "'Listen to me. Listen. Do you hear what I'm telling you? "'I've got a sword, and it's a good one, but all the bleeding thing can do is keep someone alive. "'Listen. A song... "'can keep someone immortal. 
Good or bad? The minstrel relaxed a little, but only a little. Nuggan had taken refuge behind a group of other gods. He'll wait until I'm out of the gates, groaned the minstrel. He'll be busy. Truckle, press that plunger. Ah, your famous firework, said Blind Io. But my dear mortal, fire cannot harm the gods. Well, now, said Cohen, that depends, right? Because in a minute or two, the top of this mountain is going to look like a volcano. Everyone in the world will see it. I wonder if they'll believe in the gods any more. Ha! sneered Fate. But a few of the brighter gods looked suddenly thoughtful. Anyway, Cohen went on, it don't matter if someone kills the gods. It does matter that someone tried. Next time, someone will try harder. All that will happen is that you will be killed, said Fate, but the more thoughtful gods were edging away. What have we got to lose? said Boy Willie. We're going to die anyway. We're ready to die. We've always been ready to die, said Caleb the Ripper. That's why we've lived such a long time, said Boy Willie. But why be so upset? said Blind Io. You've had long, eventful lives, and the great cycle of nature... Ach, the great cycle of nature can eat my loincloth, said Mad Hamish. And there's not many as would want to do that, said Cohen. And I ain't much good with words, but I reckon we're doing this because we are going to die, do you see? And cause some bloke got to the edge of the world somewhere and saw all them other worlds out there and burst into tears because there was only one lifetime. So much universe and so little time, and that's not right. But the gods were looking around. The wings had shattered and broken off. The fuselage smashed down onto the cobbles and slid on. Now is the time to panic, said Rincewind. The stricken kite continued to scrape across the flagstones in a growing smell of scorched wood. A pale hand reached past Rincewind. It would be advisable, said Leonard, to hold on to something. He pulled a small handle labelled Sicarb. Now the kite stopped, in a very dynamic sort of way. The gods looked down. A hatch opened in the strange wooden bird. It fell off and rolled a little way. The gods saw a figure get out. He appeared in many ways to be a hero, except that he was far too clean. He looked around, removed his helmet, and saluted. "'Good afternoon, O mighty ones,' he said. "'I do apologise, but this should not take long. "'And may I take this opportunity to say, on behalf of the people of the disc, "'that you are all doing a wonderful job here.' He marched towards the horde, past the astonished gods, and stopped in front of Cohen. "'Cohen the Barbarian, what's it to you?' said Cohen, mystified. "'I am Captain Carrot of the ankh Morpork City Watch, "'and I hereby arrest you on a charge of conspiracy to end the world. "'You need not say anything.' "'I don't intend to say anything,' said Cohen, raising his sword. "'I'm just going to cut your in head off.' "'Hold it, hold it,' said Boy Willie urgently. "'Do you know who we all are?' "'Yes, sir, I believe I do. "'You are Boy Willie, a.k.a. Mad Bill, Wilhelm the Chopper, the Great, "'and you are going to arrest us. "'You say you are some kind of watchman?' "'That is correct, sir. "'We must have killed hundreds of watchmen in our time, lad.' "'I'm sorry to hear that, sir.' "'How much do they pay you, boy?' said Caleb. Forty-three dollars a month, Mr. Ripper, with allowances.' The horde burst out laughing. Then Carrots drew his sword. "'I must insist, sir. What you are planning to do will destroy the world.' "'Only this bit, lad,' said Cohen. "'Now you could go off home and—' 
"'I'm being patient, sir, out of respect for your grey hairs.' There was a further burst of laughing, and Mad Hamish had to be slapped on the back. "'Just a moment, boys,' said Mrs. McGarry quietly. "'Are we thinking this one through? Look around you.' They looked around. "'Well?' Cohen demanded. "'There's me, and you,' said Vina, "'and Truckle, and Boy Willie, and Hamish, and Caleb, and a minstrel.' "'So? So?' "'That's seven, said Vina. Seven of us against one of him. Seven against one. And he thinks he's going to save the world. And he knows who we are, and he's going to fight us. "'You think he's the hero?' cackled Mad Hamish. "'Ha! What kind of hero works for forty-three dollars a month, plus allowances?' But the cackle was all alone in the sudden quietness. The horde could calculate the peculiar mathematics of heroism quite quickly. There was... There always was, at the start and finish, the code. They lived by the code. You followed the code, and you became part of the code for those who followed you. The code was it. Without the code, you weren't a hero. You were just a thug in a loincloth. The code was quite clear. One brave man against seven. One. They knew it was true. In the past, they'd all relied on it. The higher the odds, the greater the victory. That was the code. Forget the code, dismiss the code, deny the code, and the code would take you. They looked down at Captain Carrot's sword. It was short, sharp, and plain. It was a working sword. It had no runes on it, no mystic gleam twinkled on its edge. If you believed in the code, that was worrying. One simple sword in the hands of a truly brave man could cut through a magical sword like suet. It wasn't a frightening thought, but it was a thought. "'Funny thing,' said Cohen, "'but I heard tell once that down in Ankh-Morpork "'there's some watchman who's really heir to the throne "'but keeps very quiet about it "'cause he likes being a watchman.' "'Oh, dear,' thought the horde. "'Kings in disguise, that was code material right there.' "'Carrot met Cohen's gaze. "'Never heard of him,' he said. "'To die for forty-three dollars a month,' said Cohen, "'holding the gaze. "'A man's got to be very, very stupid, or very... "'Very brave.' "'What's the difference?' said Rincewin, stepping forward. "'Look, I don't want to break up a moment of drama or anything, "'but he's not joking. "'If that keg explodes here, it will destroy the world. "'It'll open up a sort of hole and all the magic will drain away.' "'Rincewind?' said Cohen. "'What are you doing here, you old rat?' "'Trying to save the world,' said Rincewind. "'He rolled his eyes. "'Again?' Cohen looked uncertain, but heroes don't back down easily, even in the face of the code. It'll really all blow up? Yes. It's not much of a world, Cohen muttered. Not any more. What about all the dear little kittens? Rincewind began. Puppies, hissed Carrot, not taking his eyes off Cohen. Puppies, I mean, eh? Eh? Think of them. Well, what about them? Oh, nothing. But everyone will die, said Carrot. Cohen shrugged his skinny shoulders. Everyone dies sooner or later, so we're told. There will be no one left to remember, said the minstrel, as if he was talking to himself. If there's no one left alive, no one will remember. The horde looked at him. No one will remember who you were or what you did, he went on. There will be nothing, no more songs. No one will remember. Cohen sighed. "'All right, then let's say, supposing I don't—' "'Cohen,' said Truckle, in an unusually worried voice, "'you know, 
a few minutes ago where you said, press the plunger. Yeah? You meant I shouldn't have. The keg was sizzling. You pressed it, said Cohen. Well, yes, you said. Can we stop it? No, said Ridswind. Can we outrun it? Only if you can think of a way to run ten miles really, really fast, said Rincewind. Gather round, lads. Not you, minstrel boy. This is sword stuff. Cohen beckoned the other heroes, and they went into a hurried huddle. It didn't seem to take long. Right, said Cohen as they straightened up. You've got all our names down, right, Mr Bard? Of course. Then let's go, lads. They heaved the keg back onto Hamish's wheelchair. Truckle half turned as they started to push it. "'Here, Bard! You sure you made a note of that bit where I—' "'We are leaving!' shouted Cohen, grabbing him. "'See you later, Mrs McGarry!' She nodded and stood back. "'You know how it is?' she said sadly. "'Great-grandchildren on the way and everything.' The wheelchair was already moving fast. "'Get them to name one after me!' yelled Cohen as he leapt aboard. "'What are they doing?' said Rincewind as the chair rolled down the street towards the far gates. "'They'll never get it down from the mountain quickly enough,' said Carrot, starting to run.' The chair passed through the arch at the end of the street and rattled over the icy rocks. As they hurried after it, Rincewind saw it bounce out and into ten miles of empty air. He thought he heard the last words as the downward plunge began. "'Aren't we supposed to shout something?' Then chair and figures and barrel became smaller and smaller and merged into the hazy landscape of snow and sharp, hungry rocks. Carrot and Rincewind watched. After a while, the wizard noticed Leonard out of the corner of his eye. The man had his fingers on his own pulse and was counting under his breath. Ten miles. Mm. Allow for air resistance. Call it three minutes plus. Yes, yes, indeed. We should be averting our gaze around... Yes, now. Yes, I think it would be a good idea. Even through closed lids, the world went red. When Rincewind crawled to the edge, he saw a small distant circle of evil black and crimson. Several seconds later, thunder boomed up the flanks of Corrie Celeste, causing avalanches, and that, too, died away. "'Do you think they survived?' said Carrot, peering down into the fog of dislodged snow. "'Huh?' said Rincewind. "'It wouldn't be the proper story if they didn't survive.' "'Captain, they fell about ten miles into an explosion which has just reduced a mountain into a valley,' said Rincewind. "'They could have landed in really deep snow or on some ledge.' said Carrot. "'Or there may have been a passing flock of really large soft birds,' said Rincewind. Carrot bit his lip. "'On the other hand, giving up their lives to save everyone in the world, that's a good ending too. But it was them who were going to blow it up. Still very brave of them, though. In a way, I suppose.' Carrot shook his head sadly. "'Perhaps we should get down and check. It's a great bubbling crater of boiling rock,' Rincewind burst out. It'd take a miracle. There's always hope. So? There's always taxis, too. It doesn't make any difference. Carrot sighed and straightened up. I wish you weren't right. You wish I wasn't right? Come on, let's get back. We're not exactly out of trouble ourselves, are we? Behind them, Vina blew her nose and then tucked her handkerchief back into her armoured corset. It was time, she thought, to follow the smell of horses. The remains of the kite were the subject of keen but uncomprehending interest among the deitic classes. They weren't certain what it was, but they definitely disapproved of it. "'I feel,' said Blind Io, "'that if we had wanted people to fly, we would have given them wings.' 
"'We allow broom-thicks and magic carpets,' said Offler. "'Ah, oh, but they're magical. Magic religion, there is a certain association. This is an attempt to subvert the natural order. Just anyone could float around a place in one of these things.' He shuddered. "'Men could look down upon their gods.' He looked down upon Leonard Aquirm. "'Why did you do it?' "'You gave me wings when you showed me birds,' said Leonard Aquirm. "'I just made what I saw.' The rest of the gods said nothing. Like many professionally religious people, they were pretty professional being gods, they tended towards unease in the presence of the unashamedly spiritual. "'None of us recognise you as a worshipper,' said Io. "'Are you an atheist?' "'I think I can say that I definitely believe in the gods,' said Leonard, looking around. This seemed to satisfy everyone except fate. "'And that is all,' he said. Leonard thought for a while. "'I think I believe in the secret geometries, and the colours on the edge of light, and the marvellous in everything,' he said. "'So you're not a religious man, then?' said blind Io. "'I am a painter.' "'That's a no, then, is it? I want to be clear on this.' Um, I, "'I don't understand the question,' said Leonard, "'as you ask it.' "'I don't think we understand the answers,' said Fate, "'as you give them.' "'For I suppose we owe you something,' said blind Io. "'Never let it be said the gods are unjust.' "'We don't let it be said the gods are unjust,' said Fate. "'If I may suggest, will you be silent?' "'Blind Io thundered. "'We'll do it the old way, thank you.' "'He turned to the explorers and pointed a finger at Leonard. "'Your penalty,' said Blind Io, "'is this. "'You will paint the ceiling of the Temple of Small Gods in Ankh Morpork. "'All of it. "'The decoration is in a terrible state.' "'But that's not fair,' said Carrot. "'He's not a young man, and it took the great Angelino Tweebsley twenty years to paint that ceiling.' "'Then it will keep his mind occupied,' said Fate, "'and prevent him thinking the wrong sort of thoughts. "'That is the correct punishment for those who usurp the powers of the gods. "'We will find work for idle hands to do.' "'Hmm,' said Leonard. "'A considerable amount of scaffolding. "'Vast amounts.' said Offler with satisfaction. "'And the nature of the painting,' said Leonard, "'I would like to paint the entire world,' said Fate. "'Nothing less.' "'Really? I was thinking of perhaps just a nice duck-egg blue with a few stars,' said Blind Io. "'The entire world,' said Leonard, staring off into some private vision, "'with elephants and dragons and the swirl of clouds "'and mighty forests and the currents of the sea and birds "'and the great yellow veldts and the pattern of storms "'and the crests of mountains.' Uh, "'Yes,' said Blind Io. "'Without assistance,' said Fate. "'Even with the scaffolding,' said Offler. "'That is monstrous,' said Carrot. "'Blind Io said,' "'And if it is not completed in twenty years?' Ten years,' said Fate. Ten years, the city of Ankh-Morpork will be raised with heavenly fire.' Hmm, "'Yes, good idea,' said Leonard, still staring at nothing. "'Some of the birds will have to be quite small.' "'He's in shock,' said Rincewind. Captain Carrot had gone quiet with anger, as Skye does just before a thunderstorm. "'Tell me,' said Blind Io. 
Is there a god of policemen? No, sir, said Carrot. Coppers would be far too suspicious of anyone calling themselves a god of policemen to believe in one. But are you a god's fearing man? What I've seen of them certainly frightens the life out of me, sir, and my commander always says, when we go about our business in the city, that when you look at the state of mankind, you are forced to accept the reality of the gods. The gods smiled their approval of this, which was indeed an accurate quotation. Gods have little use for irony. Very good, said Blind Io. And you have a request? Sir? Everyone wants something from the gods. No, sir. I offer you an opportunity. You will give something to us? Yes, sir. A wonderful opportunity to show justice and mercy. I ask you, sir, to grant me a boon. There was a silence. Then Blind Io said, "'Is that one of those uh, wooden objects, wasn't it, Uh, with a handle, and um, uh, beads on one side, and a a sort of thing-thing with hooks on?' Um, He paused. "'Did you mean one of those rubber things?' "'No, sir, that would be a balloon, sir. A boon is a request.' "'Is that all? Oh, well, allow the kite to be repaired so that we can go home.' "'Impossible,' said Fate.' "'It sounds reasonable to me,' said Blind Io, glaring at fate. "'It must be its last flight.' "'It will be the last flight of the kite, won't it?' said Carrots to Leonard. "'Hm? What? Oh, yes, oh, certainly, yeah. I I can see I designed a lot of it wrong. The next one—' "'What happened there?' said fate suspiciously. "'Where?' said Rincewind. "'Where you clamped your hand over his mouth.' "'Did I?' "'You're still doing it!' "'Nerves,' said Rincewind, releasing his grip on Leonard. "'I've been a bit shaken up.' "'And do you want a boon, too?' said Leonard. "'What? Oh, uh, I'd prefer a balloon, as a matter of fact. A blue balloon.' Rincewind gave Carrot a defiant look. "'It's all got to do with when I was six, all right. There was this big, unpleasant girl uh, and a pin. I don't want to talk about it.' He looked up at the watching gods. "'I don't want everyone staring at, I'm sure.' "'Hook!' said the librarian. "'Does your pet want a balloon as well?' said Blind Io. "'We do have a monkey god if he wants some mangoes and so on.' In the sudden chill, Rincewind said, "'In fact, he said he wants three thousand file cards, a new stamp, and five gallons of ink.' "'Eek!' said the librarian urgently. "'Oh, all right. And a red balloon too, please, if they're free.' The repairing of the kite was simple enough. Although gods, on the whole, do not feel at home around mechanical things, every pantheon everywhere in the universe finds it necessary to have some minor deity, Vulcan, Wayland, Dennis, Hephaestus, who knows how bits fit together and that sort of thing. Most large organisations, to their regret and expense, have to have someone like that. Evil Harry surfaced from the snowdrift and gasped for breath. Then he was plunged back down again by a firm hand. "'So it's a deal, then, is it?' said the minstrel, who was kneeling on his back and holding on to his hair. Evil Harry rose again. "'Deal!' he roared, spitting snow. "'And if you tell me later that I shouldn't have listened to you, because everyone knows Dark Lords can't be trusted, I'll garrote you with a lyre-string. You've got no respect.' "'Well, you are an evil, treacherous Dark Lord, right?' said the minstrel, pushing the spluttering head back into the snow. "'Well, yeah, of course, obviously, but respect costs nothing... (laughs) 
You help get me down, and I'll write you into the saga as the most wicked, iniquitous, and depraved evil warlord there has ever been, understand? The head came up again, wheezing. All right, all right, all right, but you've got to promise. And if you betray me, remember that I don't know the code. I don't have to let dark lords get away. They descended in silence, and, in Harry's case, mostly with his eyes shut. Off to one side and a long way down, a foothill was now a valley, still fumed and bubbled. We'd never even find the bodies, said the minstrel as they sought for a path. Ah, and that'd be because they didn't die, see, said Harry. They'd have come up with some plan at the last minute, you can bet on it. Harry, you can call me evil, lad. Evil, they spent the last minute falling down a mountain. Ah, but maybe they kind of glided through the air, see, and there's all those lakes down there, or maybe they spotted where the snow was really deep. The minstrel stared. You really think they could have survived, he said. There was a slight touch of desperation in Harry's rattled face. Sure, of course. All that talk from Cohen, that was just talk. He's not the sort to go around dying all the time. Not old Cohen. I mean, not him. He's one of a kind. The minstrel surveyed the hublands ahead of them. There were lakes and there was deep snow, but the horde was not in favour of cunning. If they needed cunning, they hired it. Otherwise, they simply attacked, and you couldn't attack the ground. It's all mixed up, he thought. Just like that captain said, gods and heroes and wild adventure, but when the last hero goes, it all goes. He'd never been keen on heroes, but he realised that he needed them to be there, like forests and mountains. He might never see them, but they filled some sort of hole in his mind, some sort of hole in everyone's mind. "'Bound to be fine,' said evil Harry behind him. "'They'll probably be waiting for us when we get down there.' "'What's that hanging on that rock?' said the minstrel. It turned out, when they'd scrambled up to it over slippery rocks, to be part of a shattered wheel from Mad Hamish's wheelchair." "'Doesn't mean nothing,' said Evil Harry, tossing it aside. "'Come on, let's get a move on. "'This is not a mountain you want to be on at night.' "'No, you're right, it doesn't,' said the minstrel. "'He unslung his lyre and began to tune it. "'It doesn't mean anything.' "'Before he turned to leave, "'he reached into a ragged pocket and pulled out a small leather bag. "'It was full of rubies. "'He tipped them out onto the snow where they glowed, "'and then he walked on.' There was a field of deep snow. Here and there a hollow suggested that the snow had been thrust aside with great force by a falling body, but the edges had been softened by the wind drift. The seven horsewomen landed gently, and the thing about the snow was this. There were hoof prints in it, but they did not appear exactly where the horses trod, or exactly when they did. They seemed superimposed on the world, as if they had been drawn first and the artist did not have much time to paint in the reality behind them. They waited for a while. "'Well, this is jolly unsatisfactory,' said Hilda, soprano. "'They ought to be here. They do know they're dead, don't they?' "'We haven't come to the wrong place, have we?' said Gertrude, mezzo-soprano. "'Ladies, if you'd be so kind to dismount.' They turned. The seventh Valkyrie had drawn her sword and was smiling at them. "'What cheek! Here, you're not grim, Hilda.' "'No.' "'But I think I could probably beat all six of you,' said Vina, tossing aside the helmet. "'I shoved her in the privy with one hand. "'It would be better if you simply dismounted.' "'Better? Better than what?' 
Mrs. McGarry sighed. This, she said. The snow erupted old men. Evening, miss, said Cohen, grabbing Hilda's bridle. Now, are you going to do like she says, or shall I get my friend Truckle here to ask you? Only he's a bit uncivil. <laughs> How dare you? I'll dare anything, miss. Now get off or I'll push her off. Well, really? Excuse me, I say excuse me, said Gertrude. Are you dead? Are we dead, Willie? We ought to be dead, but I don't feel dead. I ain't dead, roared Mad Hamish. I'll knock any man doon as tells me I'm dead. There's nothing you can't refuse, said Cohen, swinging himself onto Hilda's horse. Saddle up, boys. But excuse me, said Gertrude, who was one of those people afflicted with terminal politeness. We were supposed to take you to the great halls of the slain. There's mead and roast pork and fighting in between courses, just for you. That's what you wanted. They laid it on just for you. Yeah? Well, thanks all the same, but we ain't going, said Cohen. But that's where dead heroes have got to go. I don't remember signing anything, said Cohen. He looked up at the sky. The sun had set, and the first stars were coming out. Every one was a world, eh? You still not joining us, Mrs McGarry, he said. Not yet, boys, Fina smiled. Not quite ready, I think. There'll come a time. Fair enough, fair enough. We'll be going in. Got a lot to do. But, Mrs McGarry looked across the snowfield. The wind had blown the snow over shapes. Here a sword hilt projected from a drift. There a sandal was just visible. Are you dead or not? she said. Cohen scanned the snow. Well, the way I see it, we don't think we are, so why should we care what anyone else thinks? We never have. Ready, Amish? Then follow me, boys. Vina watched as the Valkyries, squabbling amongst themselves, made their way back to the mountain. Then she waited. She had a feeling that there would be something to wait for. After a while, she heard another horse whinny. Are you collecting? she said, and turned to look at the mounted figure. "'That is something about which I do not propose to enlighten you,' said Death. "'But you are here,' said Vina, although now she felt a lot more like Mrs McGarry again. Vina would probably have killed a few of the horsewomen just to make sure the others paid attention, but they'd all looked so young. "'I am, of course, everywhere.' Mrs McGarry looked up at the stars. "'In the olden days,' she said, "'when a hero had been really heroic, "'the gods would put them up in the stars.' "'The heavens change,' said Death. "'What today looks like a mighty hunter "'may look like a teacup in a hundred years' time.' "'That doesn't seem fair.' "'No one ever said it had to be. "'But there are other stars.' At the base of the mountain, at Vina's camp, Harry got the fire going again while the minstrel sat and picked out notes. I, I want you to listen to this, he said after a while, and played something. It went on, it seemed to evil Harry, for a lifetime. He wiped away a tear as the last notes died away. I've got to do some more work on it, said the minstrel in a faraway voice, but will it do? You asking me, will it do? said evil Harry. "'You're telling me you think you could make it even better?' "'Yes.' "'Well, it's not like a real saga,' said Evil Harry hoarsely. "'It's got a tune.' 
You could whistle it, even. Well, hum it. I mean, it even sounds like them. Like they'd sound if they was music. Good. It's wonderful. Thank you. It will get better as more people hear it. It's music for people to listen to. And it's not like we found any bodies, is it? said the very small dark lord. So they could be alive somewhere. The minstrel picked a few notes on the lyre. The strings shimmered. Somewhere, he agreed. You know, kid, said Harry, I don't even know your name. The minstrel's brow wrinkled. He wasn't certain himself any more, and he didn't know where he was going to go, or what he was going to do. But he suspected that life might be a lot more interesting from now on. I'm just the singer, he said. Play it again, said evil Harry. Rincewind blinked, stared, and then looked away from the window. We've just been overtaken by some men on horseback, he said. Hook, said the librarian, which probably meant some of us have got some flying to do. I just thought I'd mention it. Spiralling through the air like a drunken clown, the kite climbed the column of hot air from the distant crater. It was the only instruction Leonard had given before going and sitting so quietly at the back of the cabin that Carrot was getting seriously worried. He just sits there, whispering things like, Ten years and the whole world, he reported. It's come as a terrible shock. What a penance. But he looks cheerful, said Rincewind, and he keeps drawing sketches, and he's leafing through all those pictures you took on the moon. Poor chap. It's affecting his mind, Carrot leaned forward. We ought to get him home as soon as possible. What's the usual direction? Second star to the left and straight on till morning? I think that may very probably be the stupidest piece of astro-navigation ever suggested, said Rincewind. We're just going to head for the lights. Oh, and we'd better be careful not to look down on the gods. Carrot nodded. That's quite hard. Practically impossible, said Rincewind. And in a place on no map, the immortal Mazda, bringer of fire, lay on his eternal rock. Memory can play tricks after the first ten thousand years, and he wasn't quite sure what had happened. There had been some old men on horseback who'd swooped out of the sky. They'd cut his chains and given him a drink, and had taken it in turns to shake his withered hand. Then they'd ridden away into the stars as quickly as they'd come. Mazda lay back into the shape his body had worn into the stone over the centuries. He wasn't quite sure about the men, or why they'd come, or why they'd been so happy. He was only sure, in fact, about two things. He was sure it was nearly dawn. He was sure that he held in his right hand the very sharp sword the old men had given him. And he could hear, coming closer with the dawn, the beat of an eagle's wings. He was going to enjoy this. It is in the nature of things that those who save the world from certain destruction often don't get hugely rewarded, because since the certain destruction does not take place, people are uncertain how certain it may have been, and are therefore somewhat tight when it comes to handing out anything more substantial than praise. The kite was landed rather roughly on the corrugated surface of the River Ank, and, as happens to public things lying around which don't appear to belong to anyone, quickly became the private property of many, many people. And Leonard began the penance for his hubris. This was much approved of by the Ankh-Morpork priesthood. It was definitely the sort of thing to encourage piety. 
Lord Vetinari was therefore surprised when he received an urgent message three weeks after the events recounted, and forced his way through the mob to the Temple of Small Gods. "'What's going on?' he demanded of the priests peering around the door. "'This is blasphemy,' said Hunon Ridcully. "'Why? What has he painted?' "'It's not what he's painted, my lord. "'What he's painted is amazing. "'And he's finished it!' "'Up on the mountain, as the blizzards closed in, "'there was a red glow in the snow. "'It was there all winter, "'and when the spring gales blew, "'the rubies glittered in the sunshine. "'No one remembers the singer. "'The song remains.' That is the end of The Last Hero. It was written by Terry Pratchett and read by Stephen Briggs. This has been an Isis Audiobooks presentation. For further details of our extensive range of books on audio cassette and CD, please call our free phone number, which is 0800 731 5637.